This is football. Dan Olavsky joins a little bit later. Fantastic on CJ Stroud, the Bills, firing Ken Dorsey, which is what I'm going to talk about up top here. Really good. An incredible, surprisingly incredible badasses with Dominic Rayola and a little a Bryce Young conversation I found really fascinating. I really enjoyed this. So let's talk about the Bills firing Ken Dorsey. Was this a panic move? No, but twinned with the fact they fired their DC in the last 12 months, you've shipped out both coordinators. It becomes panic adjacent. Um, Sean McDermott probably knows that he's firing two people and the next person, if he doesn't get this, get this fixed is him. Should there be more heat on Brandon Bean? Probably. Um, but that's not really how this works because, and I don't think Brandon Bean's job should be on the line, but what I do think is that, they played in one of the dumbest games of the season on Monday, and they were the dumbest team at the last second. Didn't look like they'd be the dumbest team, but they became the dumbest team in the dumbest game of football this year. They tried, both teams tried to give the game away. And if you're a good team, you should not be play, A, playing those sort of games and certainly losing those types of games. I don't think Ken Dorsey, obviously, is at fault for 12 men on the field. Um, I don't think that the sloppiness is necessarily Ken Dorsey's fault. I wouldn't have made this move unless there were a couple of things. Number one, and this is obviously the cloud hovering over any situation in the NFL. There's things we don't know. Does he get along with the quarterback? Do the quarterback, does the quarterback like his schemes and feel comfortable in that offense? Not a lot looks comfortable. Not a lot of motion. Not a lot of guys plays under center. Um, the playmakers are not getting the balls in their hands nearly as much as they should. But I don't know if Joe Brady is going to fix that. Um, and I just don't know if they've addressed the problem. The problem is probably that they have an aging roster that is not as good as it appears on paper, that has been injured, and we cannot, like, if they were healthy, this is a completely different season. In an AFC where you cannot be average and get by for weeks at a time. That my whole analogy about the AFC is it's a bunch of teams and it's like it's like it's a pro golf. If you don't follow golf, this will be an easy analogy to follow. There are like eight guys every week who play well enough golf that they should win every tournament. And what it comes down to is a couple of little tiebreakers on Sunday. And this guy has this in his bag and we're at this course and they're able to do that, right? X, Y, Z, bing, bang, boom. And the barrier for entry in the AFC to win it is an elite quarterback. And the quote I always come back to is, is Brett Veach. Right before the Super Bowl, I talked to him a couple of years ago. He said, the beauty of football is that the Chiefs have the best coach and quarterback in football and that that's not enough. And it's not. It's not enough. It's up to him to go out and get Trent McDuffie, all of these guys who are going to have a top five defense in Kansas City. And by the way, at the expense of probably some wide receivers, they could have gone, gone out and got at the deadline or made some sort of panic move. But that's not that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is this idea that any quarterback, any elite quarterback can make the Super Bowl from the AFC, but you got to have a lot better roster than the Bills currently have, and you got to be a lot better prepared than the Bills currently are. This is not a Super Bowl team. And everybody said, but this whole thing about the windows, 
everybody said the Bills window was open was open the last three years and now it's closed. I don't agree with that. I'm of the Joe Burrow belief that if you have an elite quarterback, your window is as long as they're there. Burrow said that about himself, but it's true of Josh Allen. Josh Allen is capable of miracles and people who are capable of miracles create miracle seasons. I know that. I wish I was smarter and I would have had a better sentence right there. Um, but it ain't this year and it's not going to happen. And I think it's probably time, even though I was, it was a lean no for me when I was going through the, the coaches on, on Sunday on this show, it was a lean no that McDermott would get fired. I think last night changes things. And I think that firing the OC, unless they turn it around, puts the heat squarely on him. So that's the state of play with the bills. Um, I just don't think they have it this year. It happens. I think that there's a couple of things. I was just doing Dominique's show when we were talking about this. There's a grace that's being extended to the Bengals that is not being extended to the Bills, even though the Bills have been banged up. Um, most, most of that is because of, of Joe Burrow's calf and just the belief that he's able to, to, to get hot and erase all of the problems. For me, the biggest thing is that Joe Burrow has made me look stupid three times and as far as counting him out in a season, and I don't want to look stupid again. I think that's that's media-wide. It's just human nature. But I also think that we've forgotten that Josh Allen made us all look stupider than any player has made us look stupid in the past decade because he he had the biggest improvement maybe from an accuracy standpoint, from a draft perspective of anybody in football over an 18-month period. Now, the guy who's responsible for that is maybe in New York alongside Josh Allen. Um, I saw a bunch of people ask me if the Bills should just trade for Brian Dayball. Everybody calmed down on that. And I saw a bunch of people saying, should the Bills trade Josh Allen in general? I got one question saying, should the Giants trade their top two pick for Josh Allen? I got another one, maybe a little more of a of a brain teaser, because um, obviously the Bills would just say no to the top two pick thing, because there's no way you would feel comfortable betting that Caleb Williams or Drake May is going to reach the heights Josh Allen has. Like, that's just not how young quarterbacks work. Look at the hit rate for even generational prospects. Then the other question I got was, would the Bears trade, or who says no to both the Bears picks for Josh Allen? That'd be two top five picks, including one of the young quarterbacks. The answer is still the Bills say no. Because when you have this quarterback, that is the best foundation you can possibly have. I know he's expensive. I know he's making mistakes. Olavsky and I get into a little bit how they, A, can solve this, but then B, just what's happening here. And so my conversations with people in Buffalo, um, I'm surprised Ken Dorsey didn't work. I did a big piece with him a couple of years ago. Didn't make any real declarations other than this is the most important duo in the AFC, I was right. The fact that they didn't unlock that he didn't unlock Josh Allen further um is is a boon to a lot of the other AFC contenders. Um, I saw a couple stats that that Dorsey had better EPA per play and all that stuff than than Dable. Well, Josh Allen's also a more more mature and better quarterback. So the offense should be a little bit better. Um but I'm surprised it didn't work. Dorsey had an awesome football education going through Carolina. Um, he knows every single offense. He's organized all of that stuff. But if the quarterback's making mistakes, you get you you get held accountable. They could not help. Um, he couldn't help Josh Allen, and we get we get into a little bit here. Like 
I feel that when Josh Allen presses, it's best for him to just sort of relax. But listen, Josh Allen was on this show three weeks ago, and he talked about the struggle of relaxing and taking the easy play. That's not how he wants to operate. So the next best thing is figuring out how to get him to operate at a high level with the way he wants to play in the context of how he wants to play. So that's Joe Brady's challenge. I doubt it works at a high level, and we know what happens next if it doesn't. Here's Dan. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OMAHAFULL and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, you keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only. Must wager with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. All right, Dan Orlovsky, ESPN analyst, one of the smartest guys in football, uh, one of my buddies. He looks like he might be in the ESPN cafeteria. Is that correct? I'm in the Bahamas. <laughs> it looks like the Bahamas. Uh, just, just like I'm in the uh, I'm in the hallway. I'm in the hallway to ESPN. Yes. Wow, beautiful. What beautiful yeah. Bristol, Connecticut. Yeah, it's a good day. It's a good fall day in the Northeast. Look at all there's some nice foliage. You probably can't see it that good, but I'm a I can fall see, geek. I can so. see a bunch of cars. They look like rental yeah. cars. They look like Chevy yeah. Malibu's. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice fall day. It's fine. Every it gets dark now at four thirty. It's great. We, yeah, um, it's not good ready. enough to play winged foot at with people. Well, but. let's not. You know, uh, every day is a good day to play winged foot. Is is what I would say. It's a good day to shoot ninety two at winged foot every single day. Um, <laughs> I am. I just wish, and this is my my hottest take with the Northeast. Why don't we just move all of New York and the entire Northeast corridor to South Carolina, North Carolina? Like it would be. Why did we build the commercial epicenter of the country in this cold place that gets dark at four thirty on November fourteenth? Yeah, number one, the humidity. I think that was the deciding factor. It's Come too on. humid down there. It's too humid. It is. You can't do anything. I have friends who live in Charleston. They have to cool their pool. They they don't even have pool heaters 
They have pool coolers. Guess what we do? We we on like October first, we cover our pools, and we're just like, we might as well put cement in it for six months. The the fundamental starting point for pools was to, when it's hot, cool us down. Now it's so hot down there, they actually have to cool down the cooling mechanism. I'm I'm right about this. We need we need to move everything south, and then maybe whatever. Um, All right, let's talk about football. So CJ Stroud. What's amazing to me about CJ Stroud is not the success he's having. I thought he was pretty good. Scored a million points against Georgia, and everybody said, "Okay, he's still worse than Bryce Young." I'm not sure how that works, Um, but they're driving the ball down the field, and Bobby Slowick is not babying him at all. Mm -hmm. When I think the playbook now for rookie quarterbacks is don't make him do too much. Don't don't put too much on, on his plate. Um, you know, just, just do the check down stuff and go go four yards in the air. Um, he's going like I think his his uh, intended air yards per completion on Sunday was eleven. Um, he is driving the ball down the field. Um, let's start here. Um, your evaluation of C.J. Stroud differed how from what you've seen on Sundays? Uh, nothing really. I think it's just what's happened on Sundays has happened so fast and so consistently. That is surprising. It's it's rare what CJ is doing, Kevin. It just is. And that's kind of what needs to be celebrated. This is not normal by a lot of quarterbacks, let alone rookies. This is not normal by a lot of guys. And to your point, I think with Bobby Sloak, their play caller, I think two things stand out. Number one, he honestly calls plays like there's not a single thing that that young man cannot handle pre-snap, yeah. whether it's formations, whether it's shifts and motions. Now, they don't do a ton with their protection management and or hots because their offensive line handles a lot of the pressures the way they pass things off. But there's there's not much that he doesn't think he can't handle pre-snap. And then there is I mean, think about it when he. He does such an unbelievable job problem-solving post-snap. And I think that's something that I've started to appreciate when it comes to, is this guy a franchise quarterback or not? Like, Can you solve problems all the time? Because that's what elite guys do. And when when you're the play caller, you you have such a vast playbook because you're going, oh, well, I really want to call this, but, man, if they play this coverage, it's not great. Well, our guy will fix it. Our guy will handle it. Like, he'll do the right thing with the football. He'll move the right guy. And I think those are the two rare things that we're seeing. It's interesting because one of the best conversations with football I've ever had was with Rich Gannon a couple of years ago when we were talking about, like, the aging generation, the golden generation, Breeze, Obviously, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning had retired a few years earlier, and he was telling me about the difference between a veteran quarterback and a rookie quarterback. And he said the problem with rookie quarterbacks is in their head they give the call in the they give the call in the huddle and they say in their head, okay, seven step drop, this is flanker drive, this sure. is this, this is this, this, and he said, and after they've processed all of that stuff in their head, then they look at the defense. The right. difference is when you're 37, 38, 39, you're, you know in your brain you're ready to rock, and you're looking at the defense as soon as you break that huddle. And and he says it's like it's like when you uh when you're driving and you kind of zone out and you're like, how did I get here? It's like that's that's the play call eventually when you get to be that old and you you know the offense so well. And so I guess my question about being a rookie quarterback is. Uh, take me through how hard it is just to take that jump if you're C.J. Stroud from the, the college offense that, I mean, I, I think Ryan Day is a really good offensive coach, but they've had busts from Ohio State in the, in the past, um, to go from that college offense to the NFL offense and be this seemingly well-versed in it. Like, just from the mental approach, how big of an accomplishment is what C.J. Stroud is doing? Yeah, I mean, in many ways, it's going from, like, fifth grade, you know, when you're doing – 
basic math yeah. and then going into, you know, advanced algebra or um, whatever level we want to call it, like as a junior or senior, you're getting ready for college and you're doing that jump in six months. Now, if you go to a really good school in fifth grade, maybe right. a private school, whatnot, and you got a good foundation, it helps that jump. And I think that's the reference to Ohio State when it came to like, they ran real NFL concepts, Ohio State, they ran layered concepts, they ran progression concepts. So it wasn't catch and throw stuff that he did. So I do think that that starting point is huge when it comes to that stuff. Um, but I, I think the the way that the young man, um, you know, like some quarterbacks, like you build these offensive plays, Kevin, it's like, hey, he's got five guys you can get the football to, right? I think one of the things that he does such a great job of, he's like, I don't have five. I've got three. I've already taken two guys out of my mind because to your point, like I got to the defense and realized like even the game, the, 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 the plays against Cincinnati, the big seam route to Dalton Schultz. Yeah. He knows before he gets that snap who he's throwing the ball to because he's like, Oh, I'm, I motioned tank Dell and they, they've got this bluff coverage. I know that's where I'm going with the ball or the slant, the, the, the short into Noah Brown that gets him in the field range. He's not thinking, oh, I'm reading this. He's like, no, I'm moving you. Like, I'm being proactive with my eyes rather than reactive. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's really incredible. I want to talk about Bryce Young here because every single person that I, – I, I probably got 50 listener questions Sunday night, and half of them were saying, is Bryce Young Sam Bowie? Is this over? Is this whole thing over? And blah, blah, blah. And my thing is, young quarterbacks – it's not a linear progression. And there have been a lot. I mean, we did we we did not at all um had this conversation about Trevor Lawrence because Zach Wilson wasn't doing that well behind him. And we weren't looking yeah. at that draft class and saying, Oh, Trevor Lawrence wasn't the pick. It was that we said, Hey, he was in a bad situation. He threw a bunch of interceptions. He looked inconsistent. Let's see how he does in his second year. I think Bryce Young is being put in a really bad position. David Tepper is an impatient owner, um, as far as coaching goes. And they've already there's always already some confusion about who the play caller is. Bryce Young needs to do what to make this leap and become a credible NFL quarterback. Not get broken mentally. Yeah, like everyone was concerned with the the physical stuff. Not get broken mentally. Now, um, I'd say this. Bryce has gotten to the point, and it's partly because we misassessed the, the situation. Like I, I personally thought it would be much better than it is this year. I thought the pass protection would – their pass protection is bottom five in the league easily, maybe bottom three easily. So – I thought that would be better. I do think like some of the pieces on the perimeter have, have been disappointments outside of Adam. And Adam's been yeah. like good. He's been solid. Um, Bryce has gotten to the point because it's gotten so bad over the course of two months. He's not letting it go. You know, he's 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 kind of like, hey, are you going to get open or not? And that's an awful place to be because no one's getting open. So he's like waiting, you know, and you can't do that in the NFL. So I think like not get broken and not develop bad habits, you know, because that, that could happen very quickly. Um, and, you know, I really, Kev, I don't even think 2024 is a big deal. I think 2020, they're that bad talent-wise. I think 2025 is the year that we can really sit here and say, oh my gosh, what are you, Bryce? Wow. They're that, they're that far away. Um, having played yeah. in the NFL and played that position and understanding what that is, can you describe what, being on the verge of being broken mentally means i mean like is there like you play three bad games in a row everybody in town everybody at the coffee shop is looking at you saying what the hell is going on nobody even wants to talk to you in the locker room um 
you have to make a choice whether or not, I mean, obviously it's not a choice, but there's a, there's an inflection point where you can go one way or, or go the other. I'm curious just from the mental side, what that a feels like and, and, and how you can tell you're at that spot. Yeah. One, you start to doubt everything. You start to doubt can, can like, are, were you worthy of the pick? Are you really good enough? Right. Can you, can you play in the league? You start to doubt the people around you. You know, is, was this a good place for me? Is this the right coach? Are these the right guys? So like doubt, cons- and, and it, it's like this suffocating feeling and it happens so quickly where you're, I remember, you know, playing and being like, oh my gosh, dude. And I knew it was bad on me, but then you start to be like, maybe I can't make that throw. Or right. And then the second thing is you start to think of, and it's almost like you become a child again. What's the bad stuff that can happen? Like you'll get the right. play call or you'll, you'll be in this situation like, uh, well, you know, okay, can't throw a pick here, you know, and you'll be like, what? It's third and three in the first quarter. Why am I thinking about the bad <laughs> stuff? You you kind of like start – because you're so used to all the bad happening. And, and then I, I think the last thing is like you've just become so fearful of being um, – you become so fearful of making mistakes. You're just yeah. – you no longer are obsessed with making the right choice. You make good choices. Uh, just th- th- throw it away or – no, but no, the right choice is for you to try to throw that ball into that window, you know, and so – I, I think it's all kind of those things that become overwhelming. I remember an athlete once said to me that the sign you're in, you've either lost it mentally or you need to retire or whatever, is that you stop looking forward to games because you don't want to be embarrassed anymore. And I think that's yeah. a really interesting, obviously Bryce is not at that point, but it's like, you, I don't think we process it like real, real, uh, that these are just, this is a normal workplace. Like you don't, if you're play, if you've got that doubt that you're describing, you don't want to play in front of not only 70,000 people in the stadium, but you know, in some cases, 14 million at home. And I think that's, that's the pressure you're under um, when you're a quarterback in yeah. the NFL, frankly. Yeah. And, and no he doesn't it. have a lot of examples of like good, in right. the NFL. So it, it, I don't care what anyone says, Gubbiznet, you you get to a point where you expect hard, like you expect struggle, you expect bad. And while you have to go through that, it still is a mental battle. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, quick one before we get to the, the Bills. Uh, ben Johnson, is he, let's say you're any owner, whether that's Dean Spanos, whether it's Josh Harris, is Ben Johnson the first call you make if you need a head coach? Oh, yeah. It, it very much so if I, be, if I have a quarterback worth of salt. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's he, he's at that very, very top of my list just to see what he has done. What First of all, what his background is, the people that he's been around, and then what he's done. Now, I'm not saying he's saying he's your hire because you got to see what he's like in the room and all that stuff leadership-wise. But when it comes to play calling and game in-game play calling and play design uh, with the guys that like we think are realistically available, absolutely. Speaking of leadership, I actually I spoken to him once, and it was for a Dan Campbell story. And I asked him what kind of leader Dan Campbell was, and he said, "The one thing about Dan is that I love him so much that he never actually has to correct my mistakes." because it breaks my heart to know that I've let him down. And so I do it myself. And I thought that relationship was so beautiful. And I, I, I clipped that when he, um, when he stayed last year, because I just don't think there's a lot of head coach coordinator jobs. I mean, they've known each other for, for over a decade and worked together since they were in Miami, but it's like, I just feel like Ben Johnson is an amazing guy to have in your facility. And that's and obviously once you get him in the interview process and all that stuff, but I just think that, that, that he's phenomenal. Um, I'll ask you this. Is there a, 
quarterback who might have, and let's not speculate about all the open jobs or whatever. There's, there's a lot of guys with jobs in the line of the next six weeks, but is there a guy, a quarterback you think, man, I'd love to see Ben Johnson work with this guy and there might be a coaching change there. You know, the Chargers come to mind because of their yeah. situation. Um, New England with Mac, maybe. I'm trying to think of other places that might be, you know, with a uh, Atlanta with their personnel. I'm an Arthur Smith guy, though, so I hope he, yeah. hopefully that kind of gets fixed. Um, I don't know if there's, and I don't know if I, I, if I can also box him in. I will say this: yeah. I think I do think that, um, like a quarterback has to have. A couple things. One, obsessed with details. Like yeah. that's a Jared thing. Golf is obsessed with the details right now. Two, you've got to be willing to to go through progressions. Like, J- that is one of the things that is happening with Jared right now is Jared's just running the play. And that's a little bit of trust because Ben's got such good play design and the timing of the call and people are running their routes and concepts of details. But you've got to just get through the progression. Um I don't know if there's this. I, I I think those are traits that the quarterback has to have, rather than got to have a massive arm or a freak athlete or one. I do not think that's needed. Yeah, I agree. All right, we'll be back with Dan Orlovsky. All right, so let's quickly get to the the Bills before we get to badasses. Um, Joe Brady is a new OC there. I've thought, and it's funny because Brandon Bean told me a couple of years ago the reason they they spend so many resources on skill guys is obviously it works. But then the second part of it is he felt that Josh's most, I guess you could call it reckless mistakes come when he feels like he needs to put the entire franchise on his back. And so I've thought a lot of this stuff with Josh was just him trying to dial it back. Now, maybe outside looking in, maybe the scheme put so much on him that he felt he needed to do all of this stuff and make all these plays. And all of a sudden he's turning the ball over, I think in six straight games with an interception, longest streak since Ryan Fitzpatrick in 2011. Um, But if you're Joe Brady and Joe Brady, excuse me, if Joe Brady calls you right now and says, Dan, watching the tape, tell me what my first couple of instructions to Josh should be. And we know what the scheme fixes are. I think you've said it a couple of times. Other folks have said it under center motion, all of that stuff, but just getting in Josh's head, sitting him down and saying, Josh, you need to do blank. You say what, Dan? Uh, number one, trust your eyes. I think Josh yeah. is one of those instinctual athletes that can see things um, that a lot of other guys can't, especially while they're in movement. So he's got to trust his eyes Two, the we're not trying to be perfect. We're not trying to be kind of like my 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 analogies is like so often he's asked to be Chris Paul instead of LeBron yeah. James. We're gonna put the ball in your hands, and you gotta you gotta be a, a a multiplying force in many ways. So trusting your instincts in your eyes, use you utilize our legs more. If you don't like it, like your your check down or number three or number four could be your athleticism. Four, um, know know that. I'm going to do a better job of getting Stefan Diggs as part of our pass game. And, and that's right. incumbent upon me. And so, listen, when things are, e- I think too often, Kev, like when things are equal, meaning the defense is kind of presenting a, if I cut the field in half, same picture on either side, I don't think we go to Steph enough. I don't think they look to Steph enough in those concepts. And so I think, you know, leaning more into like, hey, bub, all things are equal. We're trying to get 14 the ball. And, and yeah. you you two both got to get into that same page when it comes to those looks. Uh, great breakdown there. All right, let's do badasses real quick. Um, or not real quick. Let's dive into it. Uh, let's start here. First, 
guy that comes to mind when you think badass as far as teammate. And that could be anybody. That could be somebody you played with in college. It could be somebody in the pros who was just – I mean, we've gotten so many great names. Trent Debo Samuel gave us Trent, Trent Williams, obviously. Uh, TJ Ward gave us Haloti Nada. Like, there have just been some some guys where nobody wants to, to even touch a guy on the football field. When you think about your playing career, you go where, Dan? Dominic Rayola. Um, he oh. was a center. Yeah, he was a center for ours in Detroit. And uh like he was one of, he was there with Matthew when it was dark, you know, but I yeah. was there with him. He was one of those cats that, you know, on Sundays, you you he was the guy that you wanted on the field with you, no matter the score, no matter the record. He was gonna give you everything he had. Like he was he was that guy that took it personal, like you're the quarterback. It's my responsibility to protect you. He's a great friend of mine still. Um, he's got a son who's an absolute superstar. I think yeah. his son's going to be a top 10 pick in the draft if he wants to one day. So, uh, But just his mentality of this is my job and it's a it's not a paycheck. It's a person. It's a personal thing for him, for me. I, I loved him. You see interior linemen so much is that they have a different mentality from any other athlete in football. Yeah. And like I was doing a story on Vrabel and I talked to Ben Jones and Ben was talking about playing on a torn meniscus and all this stuff. <laughs> and and uh, I think Damian Woody, Mike Tannenbaum is badass with Damian Woody about uh, playing on a torn Achilles. Like these guys, it's like they don't feel pain or or they don't want to come out of a game. Like I've never seen an athlete's mentality quite like those tough interior linemen. Because I think those guys truly feel, one, if they go out, they let the person yeah. next to them down. And they let the, the, the person that they're supposed to protect down. And those are – that's a rare quality. That's why they say, like, in a foxhole type, those are those guys. That's, it, when Ben Jones was talking about – I think he had a hurt ACL on the on top of the Tormiscus, and he was like, we're, we're running – we're trying to run four-minute here, and if I go out, the other guys are going to say, well, we can't run four-minute. And that was his only thought. And it's like his leg's about to fall off, and he's like, oh, we just got to run four-minute. I've never seen – I've never seen anything like that. What is your number one uh, moment when you think about Dominic Raiola being a badass? <laughs> uh, I mean, some stuff can – I don't know if I can share <laughs> with you. Uh just being um yeah, number one moment dude there's some stories like there was a time we were in green bay i think um and i tom cruise what maybe it's green bay or dallas tom cruise walked out like from the tunnel and he starts chirping to tom cruise like just because that's what don did he was a trash talker that's how he brought energy and whatnot and he chirped to Tom Cruise about something. And Tom Cruise like barely acknowledged him. And that like set Dom off. He was like, and all of a sudden, like Tom Cruise walking in, he goes, F Top Gun. You know, so that that was what? like uh what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was his personality, man. But probably play-wise, Kev, no one loved more of like pass blocking, pass blocking. And seeing like some defensive line game going on or whatnot, and just the corner of his eye coming back and peeling off and knocking out like a looping defensive end or something. He would love that stuff. So just to be clear, he was chirping top Tom Cruise just because Tom Cruise is on the field and he just sort of wanted to wanted to yell in somebody's direction and it happened to be a hundred percent. A hundred percent. And he was like, he said something to Tom Cruise. And then Tom Cruise, I don't know if he didn't acknowledge it or like kind of brush it off or said something back and like a couple seconds pass and he kind of looks away and then snaps back to him. He's like, F Top Gun. 
Oh yeah. my gosh. You see that sometimes. I've seen that when you're on the field pregame. You see guys who will, they'll come out of the tunnel and they'll just want to scream at somebody. And so you'll just oh, be kind yeah. of sitting there and you're just like, oh, okay. Whatever, man. Yeah. I'm not going to do anything. So he's it's one of those best. guys. Yes, yes. He's a maniac. I love dude. that. Maniac. I love that. I did not know we were going to get Dominic Rayola screaming at Tom Cruise. That's why we booked Dan Orlovsky. Thank <laughs> you so much, buddy. I'll see you in Connecticut soon. All right, bud.